Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Coming to you from Eggplant Studios in downtown Toronto, this is Jim Rats and Joints. With Javon Shepard, Andy Routen, and Dan Gladman. Jim Rats and Joints is brought to you by Henderson's Brewery. The best beer is the beer you love. For producer Dan Wong and myself, Jeff Cole, let's rack it up, Danny G. You know, when it comes to Canadian basketball, I think a lot of us are starting to recognize uh, its growth, not only in our country, but in the, the basketball world in general and at large. The players are the ones that we know the best and we know the most, and we're seeing them in the NBA. We're seeing them on the highest levels in the NBA playoffs right now in the NBA finals. But there's a few people in the coaching ranks who are really standing out. And today on the podcast, along with my buddies Andy and Javon, we are welcoming a a luminary in Canadian coaching. He's all the way in Sacramento, California, where he is an assistant coach for the Kings, and that's Mr. Roy Rana. Roy, we want to welcome you to our podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, guys. Honored to be here with all of you. So I'm looking forward to the conversation. Well, we've all uh, we've all worked with you before. Uh, this is normally the case with us. Shep and Andy have played, have been on a basketball court uh, with you, being coached by you. I've done some television and some broadcasting with you. So I, I think we're we're going to start where we are. It's it's Wednesday, October the seventh. We're in the midst of the NBA Finals. Um, I, I don't think there's anyone better in this room that we could talk to other than you, Roy. It's three three one for the Lakers. What did you see in Game Four that tells you this series could be over or it's going to be extended? Oh, you know, I'm not a great prognosticator, so you know, none of us are. <laughs> if you go by the last couple of weeks, what I will tell you is this: that uh, you know, mentally, uh, you know, Miami has shown consistently throughout this season that they're one of the toughest teams in the league and, and po- quite possibly the toughest team in the bubble. So I wouldn't put anything past Miami. But, you know, LA's just physicality, size, um, you know, the two stars when they're playing well. It doesn't mean they're scoring, but when they're playing well, it's such a tough team to beat. And, you know, we saw that in game four with LeBron starting to make, you know, those kind of off the dribble threes that really kind of changed the game, I thought, because it just injected tremendous confidence at LA. And then, and then you know, Anthony Davis – you know what a what a special defensive player he is, and his defensive impact was was huge on that game. It's going to be really really hard for Miami to come back three one, especially without Dragic. Uh, but you know I'm not ruling out that they could win another game, and then who knows where it goes from there. I think most people ruled them out in game was at game three. So I, like you're saying, I, I don't really count them out because uh, you know one Jimmy Butler is an amazing leader for this group. I'll say that, and then they have that Pat Riley DNA, so they have the makeup for a team to be resilient. Um, you touched on the Lakers a bit too, and, and AD. I think 
you know, his defensive presence has been in, in the last game has been, you know, what stuck out to me the most. I was looking at some numbers and in defense on defensive coverage, he was one for held Jimmy Butler to one for seven on, on, on shots. And that, that was, I think attributed to his length and just being able to play, you know, his versatility defensively. So I think, you know, when he's locked in defensively, they are obviously a tough, you know what you're going to get from LeBron, but um, if he's able to anchor that defense and, and guard multiple positions, it's, it's going to be tough. Andy, yeah, um, yeah, I want I, yeah, I, w- I want to ask you because Shep has uh, alluded to this o- over these last couple weeks about LeBron possibly not being the MVP, and there there were a couple of moments there where Anthony Davis, you know, he was the leading scorer, he made a, a, a huge shot to win a game, you know, if if. Is there any way if L.A. hangs on and wins this series, and really only one team has ever come back from 3-1 to win the NBA Finals, Mm -hmm. it's a slam dunk that LeBron's the MVP, right? Absolutely. Uh, If you look at what he's doing at 35 years of age, this guy's averaging 28, 11, 8, and 1-1 in the the playoffs, in the finals. So this will be, if he does win this championship, this will be his third championship with his third different team. And there's no other human on the planet that can do that, in my opinion, besides LeBron. Uh, you know, he's the ultimate playmaker, the ultimate facilitator, you know, the leader and, and competitor. Uh, there's no, there's no, we talked about this, you know, a couple of weeks back. Uh, there's no better player alive than LeBron right now. AD is a close second. Uh, but I think that um, you know, LeBron was the one who spearheaded this movement to get the bubble going because he knew exactly what was at stake. And, uh, you know, all credit to him uh, for what he's doing to the, for this team. But, you know, there's no doubt he's the unanimous MVP in my mind. Yeah, I, I, I'm pretty sure that at this point we would all vote that way, right, Shep? Listen, Roy, my, you, listen, Roy, 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 this is this what I was going to say. It's pretty even right now. I think whoever plays better in that next game has it. If Anthony Davis goes out and dominates and they win the title, you, there's a case for Anthony Davis to be the All uh, right, my man. But let me ask you. Let me ask my you, man. It hasn't what? been great these last two games, though. He, was, he had the four <laughs> block shots in game four, but he had been pretty he quiet. He was unbelievable in Game Four on the defensive end of the yeah. floor. He was by far the most dominant player on the floor just because of his defense, I, and that was a defensive grind out win. And Roy, you may be able, may be able to touch on this, but I think there's a conversation that you that can be had for you know most valuable player and most important player. Like it's it's two different conversations. I think you know where we are; these two are bouncing back and forth between them. I think when we spoke last was two weeks ago. Um, AD to me was 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 the MVP, but as you know. LeBron goes on. LeBron's LeBron, so um, that he can't really be. Um, and I, you know, again, I was looking up. Uh, again, I'm you know stuck with numbers, but I looked. Uh, I seen that he was in the playoffs alone, 500 points, 150 assists, and 150 rebounds. That's the first time in in this playoffs right here. That's the first time that's been done since 1987 with Larry Bird. So that's something I think sometimes we take for granted what we're seeing in front of us, and I, I'm guilty of it as well. Yeah, hopefully they can give a co-MVPs. I don't know if they can do that. That's probably the solution. <laughs> but I'm wondering, I'm wondering, has, has AD had the chance to sniff a championship without LeBron and his team? No, but and for them to be too. for them for them if to be AD's neck and not neck. on the team, can can LeBron lead this well, team on his own to to the championship? I mean, it 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 is it is close. And Roy, you bring up the the, sh- the co-MVPs, and I it makes me think of that time Kobe and Shaq 
were the co-MVPs, but that was an all-star game. It it would be uh, interesting to see. And so, you know, Roy, Shep's the one here who has some more controversial opinions <laughs> on this show. So we, I like to call him out on them week after week. I'm sure you know this about uh, the young guy. He's a pretty outspoken guy. Provocative, I call yes, it. Yes, I, I, I like that. Now, Roy, you you coached against this team. Your team has played against them. And... Um, I think anybody who follows the NBA has really taken to the Kings in these last couple of seasons with that backcourt and and seeing that team as as up and comers in the NBA. How do you how would you have game planned going up against the Lakers with that size, with the brilliance of LeBron, the brilliance of AD? Is there a way if you know you as a coach here, is there something you can you see that isn't being done by teams? You know the the Lakers are now what uh, fifteen and four in the playoffs they're almost impossible to beat what 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 do you see that maybe a team could be doing differently at this time i think teams are trying to do everything they possibly can and and probably the thing that's been you know it's interesting because you know miami zone became you know this this huge story in the playoffs and it has been a huge story until you know la just tore it apart in the last couple games and now they've gone back to man and been much much better in their man-to-man defense so i think you know, when we played them, you know, you, you have to be able to throw different looks at them, especially based on your team's personnel. You know, much like Miami, we, we weren't overly huge. Um, and so, you know, throwing doubles, changing defense, I think you just got to kind of keep them off balance. If you don't just let them kind of get into a little bit of a rhythm, um, it, it, they're hard to deal with. Right? They've got two superstars on their team and, and a bunch of guys who know what it takes to win. So it's some really good young talent. So I, I would say that, you know, as much as you could, can you – can you change up your looks a little bit? You know, can you throw some different schemes at them? But in the end, I think what Miami did with their man-to-man is the way you got to go. You got to just tough it out, and make it. I mean, that was a great defensive effort by Miami. They just, you know, in the end, LA made bigger shots, and won a game. Andy, have you been surprised by? the supporting cast of the Lakers. It's really interesting because some places where I look, some articles I read mm-hmm. or commentators say that LA has this playoff experience, championship experience, and their bench is the advantage. And then other people are are saying that LeBron and AD have to do it all on their own because they don't really know who to count on. Have, have you been surprised or do you think this supporting cast is providing what you expected uh i I don't think i'm surprised uh about uh you know how they're producing right now i think i'm surprised with with the confidence that they're playing with right now uh i don't know if you saw rondo uh it was it was uh you know one of those instagram captions where it was saying you know he kind of had to have that chat with lebron about you know the faces he made at his younger teammates when when they weren't making shots and i think what he's done this you know this finals is instilled the confidence that his teammates needed because he knows his role players are going to be the difference makers um, and, you know, even if you're looking at Rondo shooting 26% from three, KCP only shooting 28, but they're making shots when it matters. And I think guys like Kuzma is getting a lot of static right now from everybody, still shooting 40% from three. So you got to compliment their bench. Um, Caruso's finding his spots, whether it be attacking Hero when he gets the, the opportunity, going, you know, getting out in transition, cutting behind the ball. Uh, KCP is knocking down open shots when he gets them. And Rondo's been 
outstanding on the offensive rebounds, even tipping it out when he doesn't get a chance to get both hands on the ball. So He, he had a tough shot in the fourth quarter, though. He, he put up a three-pointer and hit nothing but glass. Oh, yeah. I mean, but but I, 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 I agree with what you're saying, and yeah. I remember Caldwell Pope hitting a, a critical shot uh-huh. there in the fourth. Shep, you, um, you said coming into the series, you've said throughout the playoffs that Rondo is that key third piece um, for the Lakers. It has he lived up to to what you expected from him? Absolutely, I think you know he's he does a great job of facilitating getting the basketball where it needs to be as well as leading. Now to to tag along to what um, piggyback off of what Andy was saying, I think when you're looking at the, the Lakers roster, people are are expecting you know these guys to jump in and, and you know give you 20 points a night. You're not going to get that, mm-hmm. but but you, you're getting a wealth of experience from these guys and and guys that make winning plays. Danny Green's a guy; he's an NBA champion. Rondo's an NBA champion. Dwight Howard's an eight-time NBA All Star as well as if you're looking at the roster, it's, it's built around guys. Have, majority of these guys have been first, second team defensive players, right? So um, it's not <clears> – <throat> if you're looking at the experience you're getting, the wealth of experience you're getting, you're getting guys that have played on this platform, been on big stages, guys that have even won at the – Danny Green won a championship at the NCAA level. So they've been here before. Now, if you're looking for guys that are going to pop up and give you 20, 30, 40 points a night – no, but then you don't need that. That's going to mess up your chemistry. You have AD and Bron, both guys that are, you know, Bron's a walking triple-double, 26, 10, and 10, mm-hmm. and AD is giving you 30 and 10. So you don't need more. Sometimes less is more. And I think just with what they have, they have more than enough because they have knowledge, they have experience, they have guys that are making the right plays and winning plays. Now, now Coach Rana, you, you have to be a little bit, envious of what coach Frank Vogel ha- has on his bench is as you've heard the, the names that are coming out here Danny Green you know NBA champion with two different teams uh, Dwight Howard Rajon Rondo all guys who have been there before your roster is filled as I said earlier with with these really young exciting players are you are, are you able are, do you talk to them about what's happening in the playoffs, what's happening in the NBA Finals, and are you able to show them things that experienced players do at that level that will help your guys in the in the present and in the future? So I can tell you what our environment's like right now. So the, the building is alive. It is a lot of fun. We talk a lot of shit. <laughs> we'll, 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 we'll talk about the game. We'll laugh and we'll joke. And, and, and I think right now, Especially after coming out of the bubble, it's just all about really enjoying the game, right? Just, just love the game, and uh, it's not so much about hey, you know, what do you think you can learn from this? Or uh, that time will come, and we have so much, like you know, Stacy Ogman played in the league for a number of years, Bobby Jackson, Luke won a world championship, so we got a lot of guys who know this from from the inside out. So I just love all my conversations. Had a great conversation with Harrison Barnes today about. You know the the NBA foundation that's just being started in each other. So we'll have lots of random conversations. Many of them will revolve around the playoffs, uh, but it's just a nice loose environment right now here where we're all just trying to enjoy this NBA final. And you know everybody wants a particular team to win, but I, I think we all see that LA's um, they're well suited, especially now being up three one as healthy as they are. Is that a prediction? It's going to be really hard. Uh, Is that a West Coast team buying for a West Coast team? I've heard it all. Well, I mean, I can tell you this. I'm a transplant, but the SAC people people aren't aren't voting for the Lakers. No, certainly, and certainly not back in the day. I think the the famous LA-Sacramento series, I think it was 2001, I think that was the Vladi Divac, your boss, 
when yeah, he yeah. Uh, slugged the uh, the rebound and it ended up in Robert Ory's hands. Um, you know, Roy, you you brought up the bubble, and I'm really interested to to talk to you about your experience there personally, your team's experience. You know, we we watched it, and we can only imagine what it's like to be really kind of barricaded into this one community and there's really not much else going on other than basketball. So if you could, from your perspective, if you could talk about what it was like for you as an individual and also how your your players handled that scenario. Well, I can tell you going into the bubble, there was a tremendous amount of anxiety for all of us. Right? I mean, we're getting on a... You know, it's one of the first times that we're all coming together again after being in quarantine, isolation for, you know, many months uh, after we walked off the floor against New Orleans. So even just, you know, the end of, you know, the postponement of the season itself was pretty crazy. But, you know, we're getting on a plane, we're going to Orlando and we're immediately going into our hotel rooms and we're immediately being, you know, quarantined and then tested and then start to integrate back. So there, there was a lot of anxiety early. You know, we didn't know what was going to be the, you know, how serious was it going to be? Uh, could you walk out? Could you walk back in? Are the, you know, are the employees at Disney, are they infected? How close, you know, when you see them, like, how far away should they be? There's all of that stuff that anybody would feel. And then and then it started to become, started to feel safe. And I think guys started to get excited. And, you know, we started to hear about the fact that no tests came back positive. So we started to breathe a little bit. Um you know, for me, uh, it, it felt very much like a long national team summer, mm-hmm. um, because typically when you're away on international competitions, even though you're not quarantined in a hotel, you don't really go out a lot. Like mm-hmm. you're really in the gym, you're on a bus, or you're in the hotel, and you may have one or two outings in a summer. But for the most part, you're just kind of so. It, it felt a little bit like that. Now you know where Disney's where we were. The place was was great. It had everything you needed. Um, so we were there for about 40 days, and I can tell you after the first couple of weeks, it started to settle in and sink in, and um, it, it's challenging, right? I mean, you have this, uh, you know, all of a sudden you've gone from being uh, normal life to in a pandemic to in a bubble, and, you know, you're scanning in, in and out everywhere with a bracelet, and you're taking a PCR and a saliva test every day, and you get your temperature checked, and your oxygen checked, and... And then you walk into the arena and, you know, you're living in a digital world where, you know, you have digital fans. And so it's a little bit of sci-fi a long national theme summer, if I could put it that way. A little different than uh, your days coaching the Ryerson Rams, huh? Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. For sure. Shep, I, I, I wanted to bring up the bubble at that point because I, I want to ask you and, and really hear from all of you on this. Is there Have guys played a little bit differently because they're in the bubble, is there the same level of focus that you would see day-to-day in a regular season, in a regular playoffs? And I ask that because I, I, I think to myself, maybe there's not as much intensity on defense as maybe I'm used to seeing, certainly in the NBA Finals. Is that is that just something in my head, or, or do you think the way the guys are playing is a little bit affected by the lifestyle that they've had to adapt in these last few months, you know, I, I think they've. I think the play has been has has 
risen if you in actuality because I, now when I look at it when you when you factor in there's so many variables when guys are you know in their normal habitat you have to factor in travel not getting rest in your own bed naturally guys go out like that's just the reality the nature of the sport you fly into Toronto guy you want to go you want to go to the bar absolutely you want to turn up get into LA you know you want to see what's going warm on got to stay got to stay warm somehow <laughs> and then you know the home court advantage the um you know just all those variables have to be taken into account and just your, your normal routine so i think now when and i said it a couple times before is when you have everybody isolated you're getting the purest form of this game like these guys are locked in it's almost you know like roy said a uh, uh, national team um experiences just as well as i mentioned before it being similar to like an aau tournament where everybody's here everybody everybody who who's who is right here on this platform on this stage and you know you go you're going out to kill you're going out to eat and make a name for yourself and i think you know a guy like jamal murray definitely did that now um many guys tyler hero probably you know most improved player thus far or um you know guys are really have really elevated their games and i think you know what in in every in every player is going to manifest itself differently so you know one or two guys maybe it may not have bode well for them maybe a guy like um paul george it didn't sit well with him but mm-hmm. when you're looking at um the play from you know a broader perspective a broader lens i think everything has risen mm-hmm. well I, I i think anthony davis and you said this earlier roy you know he played an incredible defensive game in game four and he had the i think it was four or five blocked shots but i, I don't know if i'm if i'm seeing great defense in this series, in the playoffs, yeah, we're seeing guys. We well, we saw Jamal Murray score fifty twice. We saw Damian Lillard have fifties. We're seeing Jimmy Butler the first triple double of his career. But I, I, I'm I feel like I'm seeing layups too and mm-hmm. dry easy drives to the basket and more zone defense. It, it, well, does the bubble have anything to do with that? This isn't, I mean, this isn't, you know, the, the old school Chicago Bulls, you know, versus the Detroit Pistons anymore. The NBA has changed drastically in terms of defensive toughness, I feel like, and has become much more offensive minded, especially with the three point shot. Um, I think I'm curious to know, uh, maybe, maybe you can touch on this, Roy. Uh, do you think that teams, uh, who have better chemistry, uh, would survive in the bubble? Do you think that, or, or do you think that, uh, you know, you could become closer in the bubble? Do you think that teams who have better relationships off the floor, uh, it behooves them on the floor? Uh, like teams like L.A., uh, they seem to be jiving well at this point in time. Teams like my, uh, this Miami team we know is, is very close. They have good chemistry. And do you think that the bubble has helped them get to this point? Yeah, I mean, you know, I think you know that we, we, the obvious answer is yes, yeah. because we've, we, you know, I've coached those teams, you played on those teams, Andy, yeah. you know, Javon, you played on those teams, you guys played on enough teams to know what good teams are, and right. chemistry is a huge part of that, but what I will say is, you know, when you start to, to mention the bubble now, that's what's completely transformational, right? That's if somebody, if you know, if somebody did a study on the bubble's effect on, on mental performance amongst teams and amongst the individual athletes. I mean, geez, what a, what a, you know, you can do a doctorate on that. Like, there's just so, it's never been done before. So, you know, you look at Boston early on. I mean, look at Toronto early on. Mm-hmm. They looked like they were, right. you know, the best team in the league. And then, you know, adversity hits and, and you have to deal with it in a different way. And so, and, you know, and some of that is just the regular course of the playoff. But now you add into the fact that you, you really can't leave. 
and that you have been away from your family for a long time. And now your family comes back. Like, you know, all of a sudden you just, you're just on your own and you're a little bit, you know, kind of concerned about your family back home. But now all of a sudden you're, you're, you know, your little kids become part of your reality within the bubble and that shifts your mindset. Mm-hmm. So there was just so much there. And I, I just want to share a couple of things because, you know, we talked about, about players playing well in the bubble and, Javon, you talked about lifestyle and how it made an impact. Forget about the big names. Forget about the Tyler. Think about a guy like Trey Burke who wasn't even in the league. Mm-hmm. He didn't even have a contract. A number of guys got picked up. I mean, that whole Brooklyn team was a bunch of G League guys who played really, really well. And, and some guys, you know, the bubble gave them an opportunity to make a career for themselves a little bit. So it's been wild in so many ways. <laughs> and I can tell you that L.A., like we played L.A. on the last game before we came home into the bubble. They were terrible. We <laughs> LeBron, only played, LeBron only played half the game. But for them, they, they didn't care. And, you know, we all had this question mark of what would happen to L.A. when Rondo came back. Mm-hmm. And look what happened to L.A. when Rondo came back. They got better. So there's a lot to say about Rondo's impact on that team Mm -hmm. as well. Roy, several several of the teams that weren't really going to have any chance at uh, competing for a spot in the playoffs were not invited to the bubble or, or did not come to the bubble. Do you think that they maybe have a disadvantage by not playing those games. It it sounds to me like your team was helped by virtue of being there to play those eight games. Yeah, it's a tough one, you know, because half the teams that weren't there might look different. They might have new coaches. Their roster might be very different. Um, you know, look at New York, you know, Tom Thibodeau's taken over and that team's going to look very, very different than it would have even if he was in the bubble with that team. So, Certainly for the teams that are there, it's a crazy experience in life. It's something that you can always say, hey, I was in the bubble and we were in the bubble. And I think for the teams that maybe keep their players together and, and maintain some consistency, hopefully that can be something that can build resilience and build strength. Mm-hmm. But we know the NBA, right? I mean, things change so quickly that um, that, that still is TBD for, for all the teams that mm-hmm. were in the bubble. You know, not just, you know, what do the Clippers look like next year? They were in the bubble. I mean, shit. So it's just uh, that's <laughs> great a, that's point. A tough one. Clippers, Clippers going to look very different. You got to um, blow them up. Yeah. Oh yeah, they're done. A couple, <laughs> couple teams going to blow up after yeah. this. Uh, Andy, I want to talk about uh, Jimmy Butler. You know, we're, we're talking about being in the bubble and mm-hmm. and guys who have had an impact. And you know, we might be seeing him play. I I I, I read somewhere his triple double in Game Three was one of the best games. That's been played in the NBA Finals in recent history. I, I feel like we've been through this before, but I'm going to frame it differently. He's been on teams where he didn't fit in, and he, he's he's taken a bad rap for it. Mm. He clearly fits in perfectly with this Miami team. He's their leader. Is it is it fair to look back now and, and criticize what's happened prior in his career? speaking mostly the Minnesota situation, a little bit in Philadelphia, where he just didn't jive with the players there. Is that is that a bit on him, or is that now forgotten? I think it's a, it's a double-edged sword. I mean, obviously you can adapt to your environment, but winners want to win. And uh, I read one full quote that said, you know, you put a dog around a cat, it's going to bark. You know, you put a dog in a, in a dog with the kennel, you know, uh, and other with the other dogs, you know, he's going to be right at home. So, I mean, he's found his spot. He's found his spot in Miami. You know, Coach Bolster lets him go. He knows what he's capable of. Um, you know, I would like to see him. Obviously, he's he had he had his you know his triple doubles, forty point performance, and that must have taken a lot out of him. 
but I would like to see the ball in his hands more in late game situations. You know, there's a lot of times where you find the ball with Duncan Robinson or Tyler Hero, you know, rookies late in the game. I think that's where JB needs to step up and, and, and really take over in, in the fourth quarter. Uh, you know, he only went eight for 17. Granted, AD played some great defense, but, you know, Take 25 plus shots, you know, uh, you creating, you ha- having the ball in your hands is a much more viable option, in my opinion, than having it in two rookies' hands, albeit they've played very well. But I think that, you know, it's not fair to to build Jimmy as, a, as an unfit teammate. Uh, I, I think that he's just misunderstood in a lot of ways, and, and he found a spot where he's understood, and he's showing the world what he's capable of. And uh, I think that, you know, he's, he's led them well beyond to where they should be. And I want you know to touch on that. I take all what has been said about Jimmy with a grain of salt because if you, you know, I think the biggest compliment paid to him was you know by Eric Spolstra, Coach Eric Spolstra, after Game Three, I believe it was, when he he mentioned, you know, you can't measure Jimmy's impact on a game by any form of analytics, stats, mm-hmm. or numbers or anything of that sort because mm-hmm. he's just a competitor. He's just a, an extremely big competitor, and you know, no matter how adverse the situation times get, he rises to those occasions, and Absolutely. that to me speaks volumes because mm-hmm. that's a Warriors. That's somebody you want to go to war with um, and that can lead you. So, you know, I, I think, no, he's not the most skilled. He's not the most, he's not going to be the biggest player, right? That, that's that's a given. He was, you know, this guy's the last pick in, in the first round. Of, I can't remember what draft that was, but you know he's paved his way, and he's a guy that's constantly getting better and constantly learning, constantly learning, constantly fighting. So, you know, I think he has a chip on his shoulder. And again, just like Coach said, you can't really measure what this guy does by numbers per se. So, a lot of people are expecting more from him. But let's take into account. Let's look at the the roster of Miami. Let's look at where they are, and let's mm-hmm. look at the you know who they're up against. Mm-hmm. They've accomplished a lot thus far. They, they certainly have. They're they're in the finals. Yeah, Go ahead. I, I mean, just kind of branching off this. Uh, you know, I know from personal experience, I got to you know spend a very small amount of time with Chicago for summer league. But I know what kind of guy Jimmy is. You know, I was in the gym trying to be the first one there, and mm-hmm. like I mentioned before, he was already in the gym. You know, well before I arrived, and he treated me, you know, a guy who was trying out for a summer league team, like I was one of the boys. Mm-hmm. You know, he saw I had work ethic, and he and he vibed with that. Mm-hmm. So now he's in a locker room full of guys who have strong work ethics and he feels right at home so i mean it's no surprise to me that uh he's he's gelling so well there and he's accepted as well as he is Mm -hmm. Uh, you know props to jimmy is is this true roy was andy is andy the kind of guy who's the first man in the gym depends where you're at first man in the gym but i'll (laughs) tell you this guys andy what was your high school what was the name of your high school jd jamesville dewitt there you go, Jamesville DeWitt. So yep. I'll tell you, uh, you know, my first time seeing Andy Routon was when he was at Jamesville DeWitt. A bag of bones, man. <laughs> I think he had like 40 on it. Game. Maybe if we played, I think we played at your place. We played there. That's Jamesville right. DeWitt. That's right. You guys came it's down. Crazy game. Yep. Yeah. Where'd you call? Where'd I you? About, I don't know about where, I don't know about early in the gym, but I know he scored. <laughs> where did where hey, did you NBA, coach high NBA school? NBA setting is much different, right? You know this. Why high school did you I coach, Roy? I coached high school at, at what's commonly known as the West Hill Killers. <laughs> <laughs> He's a hater. You guys are haters. <laughs> that school doesn't even exist no more. That should say enough. And we have one of your assistants as our principal now. So that goes with telling. Yeah, there you go. I'm not going to say much about West Hill. <laughs> I'll, save, I'll save you that. For another 
I don't know. I think we're going to get into some of this as we as we get now into the old right. school portion of the podcast. Just want to pause for a quick, a quick break and reach out to our sponsor, Henderson Brewery in Toronto. The best beer is the beer you love. I saw uh, one of the owners, my friend Aiden Wiener, just this afternoon, and uh, they have a new IPA out. Uh, check that out. Henderson Brewery in Toronto. Amazing beer. Now, uh, we're with Coach Roy Rana. He is presently the assistant coach of the Sacramento Kings. He's a legendary coach in Canada for his work with the national team, uh, Ryerson Rams, and going further back, Eastern Commerce uh, High School here in Toronto, and we were kind of alluding to that, um, some of the rivalries that, that come with it. And Roy, I, I want to ask you about your basketball journey, which has led you to the NBA. And I don't think it would be unfair to say it was unlikely, but you've managed to pull it off. Um, the, the, the first thing for me is, is, and I've been wanting to ask you this for a couple of years, is how did you find your way to the NBA? How did you find yourself on that coaching staff? Okay, well, I'm just going to start to say, but when you when we talk about you know Eastern, we cannot. <laughs> oh Lord, Jeffries. Jeffries I okay, all right, Jeffries. Jeffries. I thought you were going in somewhere. Finch, that was the origin of my career. I got lucky, got the Eastern, a lot of great talent. But uh, um, how did I end up here on this uh, on this bench? Well, you know, I mean, kind of a crazy journey. Probably the last five, six seasons. Every summer, there's been kind of something that was possibly going to happen, or. You know, I chose not to do it, or it just went another way, or whatever that was. So there was always kind of things propping up. Um, you know, I, this thing with, with Luke was really um, random. You know, uh, I knew Luke's dad before I knew Luke. Um, and Bill Walton had come in and done something for us at Ryerson during the national championships, and we built a little relationship, stayed in touch. But uh, even that was not like the first time I had talked to Luke, we had never met before. He had never, he had only heard of me. Uh, mutual connection got us together, and uh, the role that was crafted for me here, um, they thought that I would be potentially a good fit for Luke, who's you know relatively young coach transitioning from a player to being a head coach. You know, he spent some time with Curry. He's been with Phil Jackson. Um, so we got together. They they brought me in here to Sacramento. We spent some time together, and uh, the connection was immediate. Uh, not only from just kind of the vibe that we had, but but certainly the things that I was talking about, the things that he wanted to build. So it really was kind of random. You know, there's been a lot more. There's a lot more organizations that I have relationships with people uh, due to my work in the Hoop Summit, where the NBA just kind of, you know, just kind of surrounds us for a week so you, you build a lot of friendships and relationships and you know a lot of people but this one was completely random it was just completely random and it became an interview and i interviewed well and uh really looked at the opportunity of you know what it was and for me it kind of felt like my beginning time at ryerson it felt like a little bit of a an opportunity to build something from ground up uh with some young players and, and that excited me so that's kind of how it happened you, you touched on the hoop summit, and I, I remember playing. That was one of the, you know one of the greatest experiences. I, I should say part of my basketball career, along my basketball career. Who would you say? Because you coached a multitude, a plethora of talented players over the your, your tenure as the head coach there. Who would you say is the who was, was the best player that you you've coached? Wow! In the hoop summit. In the hoop summit. 
at that yeah. time. At that time, yeah. Well, I can tell you this. I can tell you the guys that are. And we don't want the, we don't want the diplomatic coach response. The reserve. We want the raw. Just give me the raw. No, no. It's a hard to pick the best one. It's easier for me to pick the ones that I didn't think would be any good. So, like Nikola Jokic, I didn't. Th- I never dreamt that Jokic would be who he was, and I coached him and Murray on the same team. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I thought. Uh, you know, that team with, with Wiggins, Schroeder, Dante Exum, that was a really special team. That was tough, yeah. Um, you know, and, you know, I, I can only say this about Jamal. I, I'm not really surprised Jamal's doing what he's done because he's just kind of done it everywhere he's gone. But because he's Canadian, because he's from Kitchener, because he's Jamal Murray, um, he's always been kind of underrated. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Embiid was dominant, but he was still young. Carl Towns I had for two hoop summits. Um, you know, he was super talented. So there's just so many guys. I like, ben Simmons was, was dominant. I, I can't pick one, to be honest. Yeah, I really can't. Carl Towns was, was going to be good. Andy and I played with him, played against him when he was like 16, playing playing with DR, Dominican Republic. Mm-hmm. And I remember yeah. at the first time seeing him. And, he was and, uh, yeah, he yeah. was 16 playing against grown men. He was, yeah. he was doing some crazy stuff that you couldn't really, you didn't really... He had, you know what? He had a bad body at times, but he was still growing into himself. So you know, it's 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 just honestly nice to see these guys developing into who they are. Oh, uh, no question. There's been so, so many great great players that have come through that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Roy, your 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 resume with Canada basketball obviously speaks for itself. Uh, taking a gold in Egypt, two silvers and three bronze with the with the U18 and U17, U16. Uh, what is what is your involvement with with Canada basketball at this point, and and what's the future looking like with that? So really, there's no involvement right now. You know, okay. I finished my contract in February, coached the senior national team, and I I thought we had a great run. You know, with myself, J. Triano, Gordy Herbert collectively led mm-hmm. the team to the ten and two record. I, I got a chance to coach bulk of those games, which was amazing. I got a chance to coach it with, you know, Patrick Tatum, a guy that you guys know well. And, yeah. you know, I coached him in AAU ball, just like I coached Javon in AAU ball. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now to have that person beside me when we clinched against Brazil in Sao Paulo was really, really special. So it was a great, um, great lead up to the World Cup. Uh, I thought we did our job. We got him qualified. Uh, obviously, we now have new leadership uh, of the national team program. Exciting time, you know. Uh, Nick Nurse is a world championship, uh, world champion, and we've got more NBA players than any other country in the U.S. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'm just going to sit back and enjoy that group and enjoy seeing what happens. Uh, who knows? You know, maybe I'll maybe I'll be back one day. So it's open for the yeah, future. Well, then. I don't know. It's open. We hope. We hope. We hope. You're back. A lot of people sometimes, you know, the media and so forth, or you know, fans of Canadian basketball don't take into account what goes into or the tournaments that lead up to the, the world championships or the, the Olympics and so forth. So without that run, you know, we're not even in the position we are right now. So you know, a lot has to be credited to you know, like you said yourself, Corey Herbert, um, and and who else? Is it? I, I actually think Roy. Jay, has, Jay Trian. Jay Trian. Jay Trian. I think yeah, Roy has to take a ton of credit. He he probably won't, but I I think he gets a ton of credit for developing so many players when they were young. Oh, Roy's been at, the guy at that for years. national yeah. level, and yeah. and. You know, Roy, I I met you a couple times when we did the the hangout with Akil on yeah. on NBA TV. But it's actually Andy's dad, Leo, who had been telling me for years to keep an eye on you and and see the work that you're doing, developing you know players, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen year olds into yeah. really into what we're seeing today, which is a. A, a league, you know, Canada has the second most players in the NBA, and, and I guess that 
the the question for that is, and I've raised it with these guys, and we've talked about it with Leo Routens, we've talked about it with Sherman Hamilton. Where does the national team program go? It's it's now been twenty years without an Olympic berth. Um, we yeah. haven't medaled in the World Cup. What is it going to take to get to the next level where we all know Canada should be? Well, you know, and, and you know, I had lots of conversations about you know Javon. Javon played for I think he played for me in a window, right? He played for me in a couple windows. I think. Yeah, yeah. And and Andy, uh, you know, I tried a little I bit more difficult hard. to get me out there. <laughs> <laughs> um, and you know, I, I think it's pretty simple, right? I mean, uh, I said this in a meeting, you know, when we had our national team in Montreal with with Tristan and Corey and Kelly and that group and. Like we have to stop thinking about qualifying. We have to stop thinking about all that. Just has to become what we do now. And you know, much like it is in Spain and Argentina, like for us now, it's about sustainable winning, right? And and for us at the senior team level, we've had a long history of of you know, we'll get to an event and we'll celebrate, and then we're out of an event for two cycles, and we're trying to get back in. Like we need to qualify for every major event consistently. That's our first step. And then, you know, we need to shoot for a podium finish. You know, when I was the age group coach, you know, my goal every single competition was to get to the final eight because we knew that, you know, once we were at the final eight, we were in the single elimination portion of the tournament and anything could happen. Mm -hmm. And we saw that happen in Cairo with a team that really not a lot of people thought had a great chance. So I think that's what needs to happen at the senior team level. And we just have to be obsessed about being the best at everything we do, you know, best in player development, uh, you know, best with our with our sports science, best with every little piece of what we do. We got to try to be the best at that. And when we when we dive into that process, that's where excellence lies. That that's when you have like you know great results, and, and that's what we're trying to do here in Sacramento. That's really no different um, in any organization. So I think it's time to shift our expectations and just chase excellence as hard as we can. Can I interject briefly? Um, I think also. You know, a big part of that, you know, and you can speak on it from from because you've been coaching many teams, but we have to continue building re- relationships, and I think that's what's most important. Uh, if you're if you're looking at the success, a lot of the you know the other European teams have had globally, it's you know they've nurtured those relationships of their players from you know the grassroots level on up, and they you know it's very inclusive. So I think that's where, if I would like to see anything happen more, so it's it's the development because what you're saying is is standard. Like you, we have to develop in all those areas and continue to move forward. But um, that aspect of just keeping and developing talent, identifying talent, um, nurturing guys that have been through the program, and just keeping keeping everybody on on page because you want to create a culture. You want to create a culture. You want to create chemistry that goes far beyond just the core and and a brotherhood. I think that's. Go ahead. Yeah. Think about think about this, Chef. Right? I mean, Andy, you here. I am on a podcast with you two guys, and what I just say, right? You know, like basically, I'm one of the last national team coaches to coach you. I may be the last national team coach to coach you. Mm-hmm. And Andy, you know, I've I've been fighting as hard as I can to bring you back, and that's all been about relationships since I first saw you play. Yeah, you know, there's been a lot of fractured relationships. We yeah. managed to maintain a, a genuine relationship, right? Mm-hmm. One where we know everybody cares about each other and wants what's best for each other. And, Absolutely. In the best organizations and the best culture that exists throughout. So, yeah, you're 100% right. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. As a guy who, you know, wasn't a basketball player or coach at at the levels that you guys have been at, this warms my heart hearing the way you're talking. In fact, um, I recently heard from on Facebook of all places my English teacher from grade eight, who also happened to be my basketball coach. And I haven't seen or heard from this guy in at least 25 years. His name's Ross McDonald, by the way, shout out to, uh, to coach Mac. But, um, I, I love the, the bond of these experiences that you go to go through together as players and coach. And earlier, Roy, you mentioned, um, winning the medal or, or finishing on the podium in Sao Paulo, Brazil. I, I love how you just kind of drop that. <laughs> like it's, in, you know, it's in your lives in professional basketball. It's it's just something that happens. But for somebody like me, that, that just sounds like just such a – what a special moment mm-hmm. that you all have that for the rest of your lives. I, I, I guess if I'm asking a question here, it's c- can you expand a little bit on the relationship of coaches and players – after you've worked together and, and where that can go as your lives continue? Well, I mean, that's a, just a, a big one. I mean, I can just tell you this is that, you know, um, you know, in competition, you know, there's conflict, um, there's disagreement, there's emotion, there's passion. It's, you know, you're playing to win. There's so much going on. But I think, you know, as long as there's like, again, that authentic care, they actually, everybody understands that, you know, you mean well and you want what's best for them. And, you know, Andy, I'll tell you this, that, the, you know, this was your dad to a T. I mean, Leo was a tremendous national team coach. Mm-hmm. I got a chance to sit on the bench with him when we qualified in Dominican Republic in 2010. We had Mike Malone on that staff. And mm-hmm. I think you were on that team. I know you got hurt at one point in time. I don't know if you were there. I don't remember now. I just remember Rock hitting a huge shot uh, down the stretch in that game that qualified us. And, uh, you know, Leo is, is as good as you're going to get when it comes to that because everybody understands that he genuinely cares about his players and, and he still has a relationship with all of those guys. Absolutely. And, you know, I think I think for me, I've been blessed because I've been able to be around some guys who've really shown me the way. And quietly, your dad still is one of those guys, uh, Andy, I'll tell you that. Oh, if he got another crack at it, I'm sure he'd love to. But, uh, yeah, I mean, coming from 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 – from my perspective, I know you tried to get me to play. I was kind of already one foot out the door at that point, as you know. You know, some relationships yeah. have been yeah. fractured. I felt yeah. as though I know, and I, I know a few guys within the uh, the program felt as though their relationships with Canada basketball wasn't really valued. Um, and you know, here we are sacrificing you know the two three months that we have in the summer after going you know really hard two times a day every day for ten months overseas. You know, at some point the juice doesn't seem worth the squeeze. When you know you're not continuing to build relationships, when you're not, when you don't feel like you're valued, and I think that's what Shep is referring to, in terms of maintaining and making guys feel like you know they're part of a program, they're part of something bigger than just individual accomplishments. Uh, and uh, you know, Roy and I, Roy tried to cultivate a relationship with me from early on, and I loved 
everything about Roy. It's no surprise to me that he's fitting in so well in Sacramento with, with uh, Coach Walton. Uh, this is the kind of guy he is, guy you want to play for. You know, you can open up to him immediately. And I've always felt that uh, that vibe with you. And, and I would have loved to play for you. But, uh, you know, hopefully, uh, you know, there's time still. You know, you never know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or we, or we can work together, Andy. Who knows? There you go. Yeah. yeah. And, and I, I, I Roy, Roy was the first person I called when I was looking to try to transition out mm-hmm. because, you know, there's, there's no better person, you know, seeing what he's done for this community, uh, what he's done for, for young players, young coaches who try to transition out. Um, you know, he, he pointed me in the right direction immediately. You know, he took my call when he had stuff to do. That's just the kind of guy that Roy is. And, and absolutely, I, I, you know, the opportunity is there someday. You know, I'm, I'm going to jump on that right away. So I, I appreciate everything about you, Roy. Thank nice. you. Yeah. Nice, great to hear that. And it, you know, sounds like maybe young Andy Rounds might be in the coaching game hey, one day. <laughs> or we might ask Roy to come back to Canada and be uh, a broadcasting. We, hey, hey, Sacramento hey. remote. Every <laughs> <second>. <laughs> nice. Now, uh, Roy, I, I want to take it to a topic that Shep and Andy might not know too much about, but we'll, we'll, we can put them on the spot anyway. And it, it really is about your time as the head coach at Ryerson. Um, I was uh, a graduate student at Ryerson way back in the day, and one thing that nobody ever talked about there was the basketball team. And all of a sudden, that changed one day, and it's clearly it changed the day that you uh, became the head coach and started running that program. I always thought, and maybe I, I said to a few people, that you ran that program as much as you could, like a Division One NCAA school or, a, 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 you know, an American-style program. Um, and you have all the records at Ryerson. You had the silver medal finish in uh, the, the championships one year. You, you even beat Carlton, which in Canadian <laughs> basketball is, is almost Im- right there. Is <laughs> impossible. And you, you made it happen. Um, I, I guess I'd love to hear from you now as an NBA assistant coach for you to look back and, and talk about those years and, you know, what you learned in that position, but also how, you know, who gave you the keys to, to, to be what I call the North Carolina of Canadian basketball? Yeah, you know, uh, well, I'll say this one, uh, you know, obviously Ivan Joseph, who's the athletic director, was who gave me the keys. And, and initially, um, you know, he gave me a key. He didn't give me the keys. And, uh, took a little bit of time for us to kind of uh, figure each other out and gain each other's trust. But once we did, it kind of took off from there. Uh, I can only just say this, you know, it was my first opportunity to become a professional coach, right? I was a high school coach. I was an AAU coach. I was a provincial team coach. And even at that time, I had begun my journey in the national team. But those were all, for the most part, volunteer positions. I, I really couldn't be fired. Like, you know, you're a volunteer. They tell you not to, you're not coaching again. But there's, there's nothing on the line. It's not your livelihood. And when I moved to university level, it became my livelihood. So learning how to manage a staff, learning how to manage budget, you know, and, and I know this is a little bit cliche, but, you know, head coaches are CEOs. And, and for me, I really tried to dominate every area of a program. I wanted to build a great program. I didn't want to just – I knew that the wins would come. And that's kind of what we did at Eastern, to be honest. We had a great program that we had built there. So for me, it was just trying to learn as much as I could now that I was a professional. I, obviously, the recruiting game was a little different. The level was a little higher, and it required that I get technically better. Um, and you know, and we got it rolling pretty quickly because the one thing that that I think 
you know, when you have great self-belief in what you do and, and whether it's right or wrong, that's the way you do things. That's the way you build a program. And it really wasn't about trying to build an NCAA program. But I did say often to my coaches and to my players that, you know, funny enough, you bring up North Carolina. I said, listen, I'm not waiting to get to North Carolina. This is my North Carolina right now. and We're going to build it here. So that was my mindset just to make the best of what I had. And I think, you know, often head coaches, I, you took you took a really humble approach there because I think, you know, your impact goes far beyond just basketball in the court and what, you know, what you've done for that, that university as far as building a culture. Um, you, even for your staff, you know, um, Patrick Tatum, you know, head coach at McMaster, Jermaine Small, a head coach at Lethbridge, who, who also just won a championship in the CEBL with the Edmonton Stingers, and then even a guy like Depeche, who's you know the head veto coordinator at it with the Atlanta Hawks. So you know, just what you've the foundation that you've laid and the resources, the exposure that you've given to your staff members, and and how highly your your, your players speak of you, you know, it says speaks volumes on you know just wh- who you are and, and the character person that, that's just far bigger than basketball and, you know, personal accolades and accomplishments as a, as a head coach. So I have to commend you to that. I commend you for that. I, I don't wish I played for Eastern, but I, I wish that we, um you know, we had a bit more, you know, a bit more time together while you were here. So that we could... Shep, Shep, how many times you guys beat us when you're at West Hill? No, you don't, you guys aren't even a school anymore. What are we talking about? That's We're not even a school. Day, back in the day. That wasn't even a school. We don't we can't talk about okay. you guys don't even exist. But okay. no, but you know, definitely appreciate what you've done here for the Cold, culture of basketball. What you thank what you, you built. All I know is I'm one and oh against Rogana. Knocked him right knocked the school right out of existence. No, listen, I will tell you this. Um, forget about Eastern. I had Javon Shepard playing for Toronto Mission. We were in Vegas. And we, he was he was our star. He, we had eleven Division One players on that team, and Javon was our star. And I remember remember Javon. I don't know if you remember this. We played the DC Blue Devils. Ooh, and I think that was KD, and they, right? And they, they had Kevin Durant and Ty Lawson, Ty Lawson. in their backcourt. Wow, and we got we got Whoa. beat pretty bad. Couldn't do We had enough. some special oh, experiences. Yeah. I think. Chef, you could play. So no no disrespect in any way. No no, I remember that. Like I, to this day, I, I always remember. He's the only Katie's the only person I stacked up with, and I was like, I can't do nothing. I can't get <laughs> I can't get around him. I can't get over him. Yeah. I, I'm supposed yeah. to be athletic, but as soon as I get a breakaway, he's two steps away. I was like, this Specimen, guy is man. amazing. Oh, yeah. He's in, nice. In that situation, do you do you go up to to Coach Rana and say, well? Give me something. What can I do what with this guy? I can imagine the coach guy. is saying, I don't know. I'm out of here. I remember leaving that game like, is, and, and ask myself, is basketball for me? And then on top of that, when they told me he was two years younger, I said, whoa, I have to, I have yeah. to evaluate my life. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, Roy, we have, a, we have a Michigan guy here, a Syracuse guy, and, and they were able to take their university experience and, you know, that propelled them into professional careers. Uh, which is, has been great for both these guys. Um, I want to ask you this head-on and maybe throw it to these guys as well. How can we get the Canadian college and university system to a point where, first of all, where more Canadian fans flock to it and enjoy it and support it, but secondly, where this Canadian um, post-secondary system is able to help athletes, men and women, become professionals in their in their sports, specifically basketball. Yeah, well, I'll say this: I think it's going to get even more challenging, unfortunately, uh, because of COVID and, and what kind of economic impact that's having on sport at all levels. 
I think we're going to see that impact uh, U Sports and the CCAA and the LCAA and all that those, that those levels of amateur basketball um, into the high school game. Like it's it's just not a good time for sport because our resources are being stretched in so many different ways. Um, you know, I, I remember one time again, Chef. I'm going to share this story because. Um, I had you in mind, eh? and I never came after you, but at one point in time, the thing that I was hoping was going to happen at U-Sport is that we were going to have a fifth-year eligibility rule where anybody who had graduated from the NCAA and wanted a fifth year of eligibility could come home and play their fifth year in Canada. I thought that would have been like an amazing way to completely transform the profile of the game. Unfortunately, people were afraid of the impact that guys like me would have in the city who had all these relationships because I was going straight for U-Sport. <laughs> Michigan. You know, you had a good career at Michigan, but I knew that you might have had a fifth year where you could, you know, put thirty-five up a night. Like, that would be great for you. <laughs> that would be good. And, uh, unfortunately, that never happened. But I thought that, like things like that, being created where we can bring high-profile athletes back into our game and build it on the backs of that, I think is a is a start. But. I don't know. It's it's going to be tough. It's going to take some time. It's going to take resources. It's going to take money. Uh, and I don't know if we'll ever be able to compete with the U.S. on that front. Well, that, that's a really good, honest answer. Um, I really love that idea, though. I, I do think it's going to take some outside-the-box thinking. You know, we've uh, we got a few more minutes, Roy, and then we'll get you out of here. Uh, I, I want to just shift in our last few minutes to your team, the Sacramento Kings, you know, we don't know when the next season is going to start. There, there seem to be whispers that it could be around New Year's Day or hopefully really early in January. Hopefully it wouldn't be too much later than that. Let's let's put the onus on these guys first. What kind of expectations, Andy, do you have for the Kings next season in the oh, 2021 come year? Come on. Be honest, Andy. <laughs> Andy, be honest. <laughs> you put me on the hot seat, man. That's right. Uh, I don't, it just depends. I mean, it sounds to me like there's a lot of movement right now. I'm hearing a lot of whispers, you know, about Buddy Heal, this and that. Um, but I, I think that I think that the prospects are good. You know, you have a lot of young talent there that's being developed in, in, in the best way possible. It seems like everybody's starting to gel uh, with the new additions and the coaching staff. I think you know the sky's the limit for this team, really. Um, but it's just going to be interesting to see what the prospect of a long-term bubble would be. Uh, you know, obviously this was a shortened season. Uh, you know, who knows what that's going to look like for, you know, five, six, seven months. So who knows? But I think that, you know, uh, like I said, sky's the limit for this Sacramento Kings team. And what about you, Shep? You think coach ran as Sacramento Kings? Where, where do you think they sit going into next season? Uh, you know, there's so many variables. Just like Andy said, there's a mm-hmm. lot of there's a lot of whispers of, of you know changes happening, whether it be from players, whatever it's management, and so forth. And I, and I believe like uh, Vladi, Vladi is out. They, Vladi's out. Vladi's out, yeah. and, and so forth. So uh, you know, a lot has gone on. So I, I think it's really tough to say right now. You have to make a couple moves and then really understand what you have to really you know what what you have in in your puzzle here to to put together. Um, but I think at the end of the day, these guys are professionals. These guys are competitors, and and that's going to take precedence. And I think if you have a core group uh, left over, um, you know, your Rana has built Coach Rana here that's built you know decent relationships with his guys, and and you know you, you have your coaching staff. I know you guys just added Coach um, Alvin Gentry to your mm-hmm, to your right. staff, which is a big addition, right? Like this is a guy that has a you know a wealth of knowledge, wealth of experience playing on. Um, uh, playing and coaching in the NBA, and I, and I always say, guys that come out of a lot of coaches that come out of that San Antonio Spurs um, regime are usually usually are well respected, well renowned, and, and have good relationships. 
um, and do well. So I think that addition right there is going to help them in in terms of their success going forward next year. And on paper, they look they look great. Yeah, their roster is super solid. Right. Yeah. And and shout out Corey going to this Corey this Joseph. His tenth year, That's right? Going into his tenth year, man. Like I, I remember him getting drafted just the other day. Yeah. And somebody, Coach Nathaniel Mitchell, who's assistant for the, the mm-hmm. Hornets, mentioned, man, Corey's going into his tenth year. That's, man, good for him. He's a grinder, that's man. Amazing. No one deserves it more that's than him. He works yeah, super that's, hard. That's a nice NBA career. Oh, yeah. I, I feel like, Roy, kind of good analysis from your former players, but they weren't exactly committal. I'm going to come out and say I think the Kings are going to be a playoff team next year. Okay. Um, I, I love the backcourt. Of Heald and Fox, and I've been watching them for for a few years. I'm sure you're going. Your coaching staff wants to go into the season with that as the goal. So we'll, you know, we'll give you the last word on your team. What kind of expectations do you have? However, the next season does take shape. Well, probably the biggest thing I learned this year is that you know there's so many things that you just can't control in this league, uh, and some of them are just universal, like injuries. But you know, look at what's happened. This has been maybe the craziest season that we've ever had in the history of the NBA. So, for us, I think what we do every single day is just focus on the things that you know. And I know it's cliche again, focus on the things that you can control. Uh, you know, we just hired a new management team, Monty McNair, Joe Dumars, legendary, you know, so we, we've got, you know, a different group in the front office who I think is very, very smart and very experienced, and, you know, legendary in some ways. Uh, Alvin Gentry coming in, ton of experience, been a head coach, been, you know, great guy. Yeah, just people love Alvin Gentry. We're excited about having him uh, become part of the group. You know, we've got a, a, a really, really unique, and, and I think it's going to be a star point guard, Darren Fox. Mm-hmm. You know, Marvin Bagley, if anybody gets a chance to actually spend some time and watch Marvin Bagley, you, you, you get it. You see where that potential is. But, you know, he's got to stay healthy and, and, and hopefully have that great year for that we need. But the West is crazy. Like, the West is not easy. We could be, you know, 45, 46 wins and not make a playoff. So for us, I think probably the most important thing is just continuous improvement, sustainable winning. You look what Dwayne Casey did in Toronto with the Raptors for all those years, building a culture, building a winning. You know, they gave him time. Now, you know, Nurse came in and, and kind of took it to, took it over the top. But I think that's probably where success really lies, is right? you got to have some Foundation. patience. Yeah. you got to give a group some time, players to gel. Um you know, Eric Spolster's been in mind for how long? That culture is like rock solid, you know. So, you know, hopefully for us, it's just a, another real step in a positive direction. But if the, if everything lines up, yeah, of course, we have a legit shot to, to be a playoff team. That's for sure. And that's the goal every year. I, I like that you said uh, the, the foundation in Toronto was rock solid. And if you guys all remember the, the Dwayne Casey original motto was pound the rock right that that was really that's the beginning of the toronto raptors era where they became a champion um roy we're, we're just going to go over but i would not forgive myself if i didn't ask ask you the question and la- uh, last year or this season in the preseason um the kings were on a trip nba india uh which i thought was just an incredible idea and you know they've been going to europe they've been going to china japan Mexico. Um, I thought India was just a super progressive idea. I would love to know what that experience was like for you. Well, you know, obviously very unique for me, you know, being of Indian background, you know, both my parents were were immigrants uh, coming to Canada in the late 60s. You know, I was born in England, but, but you know, that's my ancestral home. Been back many times. Um, 
and to be in Mumbai, you know, if anybody ever gets to India, Mumbai is one of the great cities of the world. It's a coastal city on the Arabian Sea. It's spectacular. Um, and to be there and start my MBA career there is it's just crazy, right? I mean, it's another part of a crazy story. <laughs> Um, so it was very, very cool. You know, got to fly on Drake's plane and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, I got, I got, a, I got an initiation. Pretty quickly. <laughs> uh, crazy conversation on the plane with Trevor Reza and Buddy Heald and Harrison. Like, it was just, it was really surreal. And then all of a sudden to be on the floor in Mumbai playing, you know, coaching in my first NBA game was, was really special and something I'll never forget. Amazing how, how it in life and certainly in basketball can just come full circle like that. And uh, I, I was thrilled to see that the Kings made that trip and that you were a part of it. Roy, we are so grateful and happy that you were able to uh, give us this much time today. It's been awesome to talk with you. And, uh, you know, on behalf of Andy and Shep and our producer, Dan Wong, thank you so much for taking the time and being a part of this. Thank you very much to everybody listening. And we'll see you next week on Gym Rats and Joints. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.